Raise your hand if you've ever heard of Aesop's fables. Raise your hand if you would say you're familiar with them. Some? Some? Uh, have you heard the one of the four oxen and the lion? The four oxen and the lion are, uh, it's this short little story about these four oxen that are hanging out in a field when a hungry lion approaches. And uh, as they, the oxen see the hungry lion approach, they do the smart thing and all turn their tails to each other and form a circle. So that no matter which way the lion comes and tries to attack, he's met with the horns of an ox. So the hungry lion goes off to the edge of the field and he's waiting and he's waiting. And eventually, what happens? An argument comes up with the oxen and the oxen split apart and they all go to their different fields. And what does Mr. Hungry Lion do? He attacks each one of them and takes them down. Aesop ends that, uh, ends that fable uh, by saying, United we stand, divided we fall. He's actually credited with that phrase that we know so well. United we stand, divided we fall. We know that's true, don't we? We watch sports and, and we see it all of the time. Uh, if the team plays as a team and they're united as a team, the team's going to do well. If one individual is all about themselves and is only worried about them scoring, about them hitting the ball, about them shooting the ball, uh, it's not going to end well for the team. They're going to fall. We're starting to see it in our country, aren't we? United we stand, divided we fall. We are a very divided country. Why? Because we don't see the enemy as outside of our country. We, we see the enemy as the other political party, and we're divided. And unless if we start listening and loving, we're going to fall. And we even see it in churches, which is obviously why we're talking about it today. The Bible says that our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And when a church is united, when we are united as one body, we can then stand firm against his attacks. But as soon as we are divided and, and there becomes division in the church, Satan pounces on the individual and Satan pounces on different groups of people and divisions happen. And the church falls. And why is this important for us at Divine Savior Church here in, in Liberty Hill? It's important because many of us are not from Austin, Texas. We have people from Michigan. We have people from North Dakota. We have people from California. We've got people from Wisconsin, from Illinois, from New Jersey. We've got everyone here. And Austin is starting to become a pretty big melting pot where people from all over the country, even all over the world, are moving here. And as we grow as a church, we are going to be a very diverse group of people with different gifts, talents, and abilities, with different background. And if we aren't one, and there's divisions among us, Satan is going to pounce, he's going to attack, and we will fall. That is what was happening in the church in Corinth in 55 AD. The Apostle Paul started that church uh, around 51 AD on one of his mission trips. And, and he started the church, built them up, 
And then he left that church to go to Ephesus, where he started the the church in Ephesus there. Uh, He wrote a letter to them too, the book of Ephesians. While Paul is in Ephesus, he receives a letter that says, Paul, there's all kinds of trouble in church. Uh, And what was the trouble? There was massive divisions in the church. Uh, A group of people said that they followed Paul. A group of people said they followed Apollos. A group of people said we follow Peter. And another group said, all of you are fools. We don't follow a man. We follow Jesus. This was all in the same church. Imagine four groups of, of us divided into each group saying we follow a different pastor or, or some say, I just follow Jesus. I don't. And we try to come together and worship as one. That's what was going on in the Corinthian church. And Satan pounced and introduced all kinds of false teaching into the church. They had false teachings about the Lord's Supper. They had false teachings about sexual immorality. They had false teachings uh, about worship practices and and what was uh, acceptable and what was not. They had false uh, teachings about uh, who is superior, about spiritual gifts. And Paul says, enough of this. You are one. And he spends 11 chapters correcting their errors, And then in chapter 12, he finally gets to the part where he's encouraging them. And that's where we pick up today. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 12. Here we go. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If you want to break down what Paul is saying here, it's your first point this morning. We have been united, but we are unique. That's what Paul is saying. And how does he he explain this? Uh, He explains it by an illustration of the body. He says, look, the body has many parts. They are varied and they're unique in each member of the body. And yet they all come together to form the body. And he says the same is true in the body of Christ. He says all of us are one. We have been united. How? Look at what he says. Uh, For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. Understand that we are united in a couple of ways. Number one, we are united in the fact that we are all sinners. The people sitting next to you are imperfect people. I'm an imperfect person. We have all sinned. We have all made mistakes. We have all uh, failed to do what we should do. And we have done what we shouldn't do. We're all united in that. We're all united in what we deserve. And that is, as as one group of body, one body, we deserve to walk into the fires of hell together. That's what we deserve. But look at what Paul says. We're also united because we were baptized by one Spirit. When you were baptized you received the exact same Holy Spirit that the person next to you received and that I received and that all Christians across all ages 
receive. You have been united and brought together by one Spirit to form one body, the body of Christ, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints. This is what we're talking about. As one body, your sins have been forgiven. As one body, you believe in the resurrection of the dead. As one body, Jesus has pulled you out of those fires of hell and brought you into eternal life. We are united in the fact that we are sinners, but we are united in the fact that Jesus has saved each and every one of us for Himself. That's what we have in common. We are bonded together in that message. And that bond is so deep that it, it, it's even deeper than some of our family relationships, isn't it? Because we aren't, we aren't united, us here, we aren't united by superficial things like hobbies and sports and, and things like that. We're not even united by bloodline, at least human bloodline. We are united through the blood of Jesus and His Spirit. And so we're united, not just here on earth, but we're united forever in heaven, right? Uh, the bonds that you share with the people next to you right here, they're going to be going for eternity. They're never going to end. That's incredible. Paul says we are united. We are one body. And it doesn't matter whether Jews, Gentile, slave, or free. It doesn't matter uh, if we're white, if we're black, Hispanic, Asian. It doesn't matter if... Uh, we're from Germany, from France, from United States. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if we're rich, if we're poor. We all come together to form one body. But just because we're united doesn't mean we're not different, which is what Paul says at the end. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. We all have our different gifts. We all have our different abilities. We all have our different backgrounds that have shaped who we are today. And that should be expected. And it's when it comes to gifts, talents, abilities, backgrounds, this is where division can come into the church. And Paul takes it on. Here's what he says. Now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as He wanted them to be. If they, if the, they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. If you want to summarize what Paul is saying, it's your second point today. No one is inferior. No one is inferior. Paul says, let's look at the body. He says, can the foot say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body? How ridiculous would that be? It would be completely ridiculous. He says, and, and uh, an ear cannot say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the part of the body. Paul says, if that's the case, where would the sense of hearing be? Where would the sense of smell be? If, if everything were an eye, where would the sense of smell be? Where would the sense of hearing be? No, we are all unique. We are all made differently. 
but we all come together to form one body and no one is inferior. The same is true with the body of Christ, isn't it? Each one of us have our own gifts, talents, and abilities. Uh, And all of us have been shaped by our background. But none of us are inferior. Just because you don't have, uh, I'll call it more prominent gifts, and by that I just mean gifts where you you stand up in front of people, um, you talk to strangers, you you can't teach, preach, uh, that's not your gifts. That doesn't mean that you're inferior. That doesn't. Paul says each member of the body has been created and placed in it by God and no one is inferior. This morning, I, uh, I was walking in my closet. It was dark. And I had this thought, what is the point of a pinky toe? Why? Because I jammed it. Uh, it got caught on my bag and, and pulled it, and it, it was not fun. And so uh, I quickly Googled <laughs> you know, what, what would happen if I didn't have my pinky toe. Not that I was actually thinking about cutting it off, but uh, I also had this whole sermon on my mind, so I quickly Googled it. And uh, even though that pinky toe is small and seems like it doesn't do much, do you know that without your pinky toe it would be hard to balance while you walked? And, and running, skipping, and jumping would be virtually impossible. So this pinky toe that seems like it doesn't do anything, it's just there to get jammed, actually has a very big purpose in the body. And the same is true with us. We might not think that our gifts and and talents and abilities are that great. But God says they are very great. We may feel very small. And God says, you play a huge part in the body. No one is inferior. Do you know what the unfortunate part is? Some of us feel that way. Some of us feel that we are inferior. And what does that lead us to do when we feel inferior? Well, it leads to three different attitudes. Number one, it leads to envy. I want so-and-so's gifts. How, How come I don't have those gifts? That's who I want to be like. It leads to discontent. I'm not thankful for the gifts that God has given me. And number three, it leads me to be self-conscious. I go around thinking that people are judging me because I'm inferior. At least I feel inferior. I feel I don't have as much to offer because I feel I'm inferior. And so what do I do? I come to church and I form my little clique that I feel comfortable with. Because it's those people that I don't feel judge me. It's those people that I'm comfortable with and that, that I feel are, are more like me. And so I stick with that group. If I feel inferior, I can completely separate myself from the body. I come to worship here and there. I never volunteer to serve because I, I don't feel that my gifts can be used as, as good as somebody else's gifts could be used. But let me ask you, what is this doing? What is this doing when I think that I'm inferior and and these characteristics describe me and these attitudes? It's causing division in the church. It's causing division in the body. Jesus says we are one. He says, "I, I, I take you into my body and make you part of it and no one is inferior. No one is inferior. 
And so no one is. Everyone is needed. At the same time, what do we have to be careful of? Going the opposite direction, right? And Paul takes that on. Here's what he says. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Paul says, no one is superior. No one is inferior. No one is superior. And he says, look, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. The parts of the body need each other. Just because an eye may feel like it's more important doesn't mean it doesn't need the hands or the head or the ears. And do you know what that's called when a a body is all the same part? That's a monster, isn't it? That's the very definition of a monster. Imagine if every single part of your body was a hand. That's terrifying. And it it doesn't do the body any good. It can't survive if everything was a hand. It won't survive. Paul says the same is true in the body of Christ. No one is superior because everyone needs each other. It doesn't matter what your gifts, talents, and abilities are. Everyone needs one another because we are one. And if we aren't one, the mission is going to fail and we will fall. And yet, some of us may feel superior to other people. Now, I'll be honest with you, I don't know that we actually sit there and think that and we say, hey, I'm actually better than that person. But we display it in our attitudes. Again, our pride and arrogance take root and what do we do? We come and we only talk to the people we feel comfortable with who share the same gifts as we do. Uh, It affects outreach when we feel superior. We're only going to invite people to church who are like us, who look like us, who are from the same economic uh, scale as we are, uh, who uh, share the same interests as us. That's who we're going to invite because we get along with them. Uh, it, it affects us when, by being judgmental, having judgmental attitudes towards others. And if only if they picked up the weight in, in some areas, then we'd be doing better. We display it when we think that our interests should be met at the expense of others because I'm pretty important around here. What do these attitudes demonstrate? What, what, cause, what leads, what does, develops from these attitudes? Divisions. Divisions in the body. And when we are divided, what's going to happen? We fall. Paul says, no one is inferior, no one is superior. God has created us all with our unique gifts, talents, and abilities. We sang in the opening song this morning, you have fearfully and wondrously made us. That's what we sang. 
And it's true. God has created each of us with our own gifts, talents, and abilities. And He says, come together as one and be one because you are all part of the same body. No one is inferior. Everyone is needed. And so what do we do? What do we do? Like always, we do what we always need to do. And we turn to Jesus, don't we? Think about this. Jesus is the most superior being in the world. He is God Himself. He is God Himself. Does He need any of us to do anything? No. He created the world by simply speaking it. Uh, He doesn't need us. And yet, what does He say? He says, of course I need you. Of course I need you. And the most superior person, the most superior being, God Himself in the world, says, I need you so badly... I'm going to come and die for you so that I can have you as my own. So that I can save you from the fires of hell. You're going to be mine because you're vital to me. And that's what He did. He died on the cross to forgive us of all of our judgmental thinking, of feeling inferior and being self-conscious about who He made us. He forgives us for our envy, for our discontent. He forgives us for our pride and arrogance. All of those have been washed away in our baptism when we receive that one Spirit. We are forgiven. And so are the people next to you. We are one body. Yes, we are sinners. Yes, we're imperfect people. But we have been united together in the forgiveness of sins. Jesus has brought each and every one of us together. And now He says, You are vital to my ministry. You are vital to, to tell others about Jesus. And that's the mission of the church, to change people's lives with Jesus. And so our last point for today. We use our varied gifts to carry out the one mission. Notice what Paul says here uh, at the end. Uh, If one part suffers, one part of the body suffers, every part suffers with it. When I stubbed my toe this morning... Uh, guess what? My hand wasn't saying, hey, I feel pretty good today. No, the whole body was concerned about my toe. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but that's how the body works, right? And Paul says, this is how the body of Christ works. When one part suffers, we suffer with it. When one part is honored, we rejoice with them because we are part of the same body. We are one. Each of us have our different gifts and abilities, and that's great. God has created us this way. And and how do we avoid causing divisions? It's by realizing we're on the same team. We are part of that same body to carry out the same mission. So praise God that so-and-so has different gifts than me because the body of Christ is built up through them. Praise God for the gifts He's given me and the gifts He's given you because guess what? All of us don't have all the same gifts. And they're all needed to carry out the mission of the church, and that is to build others up in Jesus and to make Him known to the world. And so I want to give you two examples of how this works. Paul says one, uh, when one part suffers, every part suffers with it. So let's take this scenario. Someone goes into the hospital. We, as a united group, as one body can carry out the mission of building that person up in Jesus. And we can all use our varied gifts to carry out that one mission. How? 
Some of us feel comfortable going to the hospital and sharing with them God's Word and praying with them in person. So some of us go and do that. Others of us don't feel as confident doing that, but we are more than willing to pray for that person throughout the week. And so every day that person is in our prayers. Some of us can use our gifts and abilities to to keep up with their yard work while they're in the hospital. Some of us can use our, our, our cooking skills to cook meals for that family while their loved one is in the hospital. All of us join together with our different gifts and abilities to carry out the one mission as one body. I'll give you one more example. Imagine the impact that we as one body can have on one single person. Uh, uh, Imagine some of us have the gifts to go out and invite people to church. That person comes and some of us feel more comfortable talking to them once they're in our doors. And so we talk to them, welcome them, start forming a relationship with them. Others Others of us still don't feel that confident talking to them, but guess what? We'll pray for them throughout the week that God send His Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that He's given us, that He gives it to them so that they know that their sins are forgiven too so that they know Jesus, so that they know they're forgiven, so that they know heaven is theirs. That person may come in as a loner, but that person develops deep, meaningful relationships. And then guess what? That person has deep, meaningful work as they join us with their varied gifts in our one mission. To make all people believers, to, to, to spread the message of Jesus and make Him known. This is why this is important for, for Divine Savior Church. We are our very gifts. We all have them. And yet God has brought us together as one to carry out His mission and make Him known. And so that's my prayer today. My prayer is that He makes us one. That we are our one group in one mind, one heart, that we all use our gifts as one to carry out the mission of the church. It's my prayer that if people are listening to this online and they don't have a church home, that they come to join us. Because guess what? God has equipped them with gifts, talents, and abilities too that can help us and join us as one with varied gifts to carry out the mission more. To change lives with Jesus as we worship, connect, and we serve. May God be with us this week and unite us in heart and mind around our Savior Jesus that we may make Him known across the world. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise You for the gifts that You've given us. We praise You that You have made us one with this body of believers and uh, the Christians across all the world who praise and thank You on a daily basis and on a weekly basis. Uh, Lord Jesus, we we ask You to continue to be with us, unite us around You, and uh, help us to make You known across all the world, and especially across our town here in Liberty Hill, uh, as we, as one body, join in the mission to tell others about You. In Your name we pray. Amen.